about miracles. That's just part of my makeup. You know, there's some things that you, you just realize are in Scripture and you're just not willing to leave this world without seeing it. And miracles is part of it for me. God has blessed me. He's graced me. I've seen many miracles. I, and I'm, that's not this nonsense. I've actually seen some come back from the dead. I've seen the blind eyes open. I've seen the cripples walk. I, I've, see, I've seen a lot of things that were miraculous. But one thing that has always intrigued me is Paul, as he was talking about the manifestations of the Spirit, many of you who have sat through uh, Bible, biblical study, not biblical studies probably, but uh, some kind of the theological classes, you, you've understood these things as the gifts of the Spirit. In reality, I think I'm convinced that it's more the manifestations of the Spirit in this present life. Yes, they're, they're free. Yes, it's grace with, and we don't deserve them. Yes, all of that. But rather than talking about gifts that we wait for somebody to hand us, I would much rather talk about manifestations out from who we already are and what we already have been given. So when Paul talks about manifestation of the Spirit, one of the things he says is the working of miracles. Now think about that for a moment. He goes through and he says several things, you know, healing, prophecy, on and on. But when it comes to miracles, he said the working of miracles. The working, you work something that causes something to happen that's beyond the normal, that cannot be explained, the working of miracles. Now, I will probably bear down on this a little more next week as we work with the healing, uh, but be careful how far you go with trying to understand the sovereignty of God. Because the sovereignty of God, the way it has been taught, seems to mean that there are some things that God either does or does not do because he's God. Now be careful with that. that. There is truth there. But we have made it where, well, because of God's sovereignty, I'll use Betty for an example. She never minds. Because of God's sovereignty, it's okay, Betty, for you to be crippled all the rest of your life. But I'm telling you, that has nothing to do with the sovereignty of God. And you know that. One thing that has blessed me about Betty is as I've dealt with her for several years now, she's always come back to saying, but I know I heard God that I'm going to be healed. Amen. And you know what? God's sovereignty there says, Betty, I'm talking to you. Now listen, I'm going to heal you. That's his sovereignty. His sovereignty is, saying, is not saying, I've given you this problem so that you'll learn from it, so that you'll become a better person. What kind of father would that be? And so anyway, as, as we move on into the working of miracles, we need to realize that God in his sovereignty has decided that we can make some, hear me, sovereign decisions and he'll go with you. But now those sovereign decisions that we make must line up with his plan. And that's, I'm hoping that's what this message is going to be about this morning. 
I'm telling you, God, is, he, he has given me so much. I, I've just I've spent a lot of time as I've recuperated from being sick. And I could say that God made me sick, so I'd settle down and, and ponder for a while. But God didn't make me sick. God didn't give me an illness, so I would settle down and listen. How do I know that for sure? Because God's not sick. He can't give me anything he don't have. And he's certainly not going to play with the, with the tools of darkness. So, as I've, as I've taken some time and settled into this and began to ponder, this thing has become so big that I've, I've been working yesterday and today saying, God, help me to get it to here. It's this big. I need to get it this big. So, we'll either get it that big or we'll quit when it gets that big. How's that going? I'm going to be working to begin with out of Matthew chapter 16, beginning with uh, verse 13 when I do begin. But I'm going to do this to myself, and I'm sure that some of you will find your own experience in it. But I've become very convicted over the past year, I suppose, about how do I want to put this? About what I challenge people to respond to. Because I see around the countryside, and not just around this nation, but around the world, I see people who think that salvation and walking with God is just a prayer. And they can continue in anything they want to continue in, as long as they pray that prayer. And in the end, God will cause it to turn out. And then we have people that have been produced by a culture other than God culture that if you offend them in any way, they go on down the road and look for another church that won't offend them. And then for years, they develop a history of cycling through the churches, charismatic cruisers. And I, there's, there's been a church growth technology that's put out there. It's not theology, it's technology that says that somehow we have to just let those people be. We can't make them feel bad about themselves. Even to the point that California is considering, and this is real, they're considering passing laws that will make it a jail offense if a pastor makes somebody feel bad about themselves in their, in their congregation. Guess what? Jail ministry. I don't... I, I hope it don't pass. I really don't think it's going to, but I hope it don't pass. Other nations have already passed something to that effect, and it is having an effect. It's weakening the gospel. What God has convicted me about is not about my willingness to lay down my life and do whatever, but about my willingness to require that from you. Play the clip for me up here, guys, if you would. I'm going to let you, let you watch a little bit of a movie this morning. Your first right XL, Andy. 
good separator. I know a man like you. I'd give my life for any one of them, sir. I know you would. I'm not questioning your bravery. The question is, what about their lives? You and Mr. Emmett are good friends. Went to the academy together. Would you be willing to sacrifice his life? Or what about some of the younger enlisted men? I know a lot of those guys look up to you like a big brother. You willing to lay their lives on the line? You see, you hesitate. But as a captain, you can't. You have to act. If you don't, you put the entire crew at risk. Now that's the job. It's not a science. You have to be able to make hard decisions based on imperfect information. Asking men to carry out orders that may result in their deaths. And if you're wrong, you suffer the consequences. If you're not prepared to make those decisions, without pause, without reflection, then you've got no business being a submarine captain. I can't put into words how much conviction that brings to me. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you a bunch of stuff that my family has gone through. And literally, I'm telling you, for the cause of Christ, I'm not going to do that. But what I'm convicted about is my hesitation to call you to give your life. And realize that because of leaders like that around this nation, and why I keep saying around this nation and not around the globe is because this nation has the affluence to send their brand of the gospel around the globe. And the global church reflects American Christianity, except in some spots which are growing rapidly. But by not requiring you to lay down your life, it negates me laying down my life and I'm afraid that we have literally put in danger the future of the church in this nation. And I've watched this now for five or six years, watching the, the regression or the progression of a worldly gospel. <clears throat> and this morning, I am talking about the working of miracles, but one thing I'm laying before you is it takes a way of life to work miracles. And if you're not willing to do that without hesitation, you're never going to walk that path. Sobering, isn't it? Matthew chapter 16, beginning verse 13. I'm just going to run through a little expository thing here. I might get off and just start preaching in a little while. I really want to teach this, but I don't know. We'll see. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Now Jesus, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
basically what their response to him was that everybody's saying that you're a good man among many good men. Have we heard anything like that in the nation at large? Oh, there are many ways to God. Well, they are a believer. They just haven't yet had their life changed. I'm telling you, if you hadn't had your life changed radically, you're not yet a believer. I'll just tell you right out, right out of the gate here, he'll change your life. And if he hasn't, then you're, a, you're one dilly-dallying with religion. You're not a believer. Boom. Now, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, making a clear distinction in the next verses, I want you to see this. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And that's the key question here this morning. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, when he said you are the Christ, you've got to, you've got to realize what this Jewish educated man was thinking. He was thinking, you are the one that God has said for two, four, two or about 4,000 years now. You're the one that he said would come. You're that one. And for him to say that, he wasn't just saying that he was the anointed one. He was saying, you're the one that carries the anointing. And you're the one that empower, is empowered to give us the anointing. You're that one. You see the difference? Well, some people, you know, the good people now. Some, some, some people say that, that uh, Muhammad is the way. Some people say... The Buddha is the way. Some people says a higher power is the way and they will make their higher power their motorcycle. My response to that is how dumb can you get and still breathe? <laughs> Who do you say he is? Is he a nice guy? Is he somebody that's going to meet all my needs? Is he somebody that as long as he shows up and manifests on you now and then and gets those doodads up and down your back that, that you, you can go around saying, I'm a Christian, but the minute you don't feel it, you're saying, where did God go? What's God doing to me? Or is he the Christ, the Son of the living God who indwells me, who surrounds me, who, who empowers me, who enables me? Now let's, let's move on here. Uh, let's see, I was going to take that down a little further. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. I want to bear in once again on that word blessed and, have, and remind you it's not about your bank account. It's not about the car you drive or the house you live in. Blessed is about one who is greater coming to your level and you glorifying him by rising up to the level that he offers you. He said you're blessed when you understand that the Christ has come.
In other words, God comes to your level and you come to God's level when you understand that Christ has come. Now notice verse 18. Jesus said, Now I also say to you that you're Peter. You're, you're a rock. But if it's, on the, if it's on this great large rock, it's on, on this rock that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I want you to get that. He said, these people who understand that I am the Christ and that I enable them and just to have my presence is to have the anointing of the Christ, the anointing of God. These people that understand that, I'm going to call them out from something. Out from what? Out from the kingdoms of this world. Out from, out from being accepted by everything that's around you. Out from doing the things that causes you to be pulled away from him. Out from away from those. He said, I will build that people. And the very gates of hell won't prevail against them. Now, he's not talking about spiritual warfare. That's another one of those unfortunate translations that he said it's the word Hades, I believe it is. And it's not talking about the eternal place of fire. It's, it's not talking about even eternal judgment. It's talking about that place of agitation of the mind, will, and the emotion. He said, if you'll understand that that's what I'm building is my church and that my whole thing is to pull you away from those things that causes you the agitation, causes you the, you the despair, causes you all that thing. I'm going to pull you away from that and there's no way that can prevail against, against you if you understand that you have the Christ indwelling you. Now, this might not be anything new. As a matter of fact, I know it's not anything new to you, but I want you to get this as we go, go on, on through it. He goes on in verse 19. He says, Now I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And that would be more accurately rendered, whatever shall have been bound in heaven shall be bound on earth. Whatever shall have been loosed in heaven You'll be loosed on earth. Now, think about keys for a moment. It's just a means of unlocking. That's all it is. It's, it's the best word that they could translate to get, to get the point across. And it certainly is uh, just an illustration that that key that you have is a means of unlocking your door and getting in your house. That key that you have is a means of turning on the power on your car and getting that thing functioning where it'll go down the road. He said, now, it, this should be exciting. So I'm going to give you the keys of heaven. I'm going to give you the keys of my realm. I'm going to fix it where you can get in and unlock it. You, it can't be locked against you. The gates of hell, all of the agitation, everything else, cannot prevail against it if you understand that I am the Christ. And that there is a way, there is a way, I am the way, the truth, and as Leroy so aptly put it this morning, the life. He's, he's saying, folks, if you just get it, this is what I'm offering to you, that the, I'm offering you a way to unlock it. And now, think of binding and loosing for a minute. I've been given the means of binding and loosing. That means that he will teach me how to lock the door on some things and say, that's not going to bother me anymore. 
he'll teach me how to open the door to some things and say, I'm going to let that get all over me. But we've got to walk with him, talk with him to begin to understand it. We've got to be able to, able to understand exactly what he's doing. And I'm telling you, he's not, he didn't come to make you feel better about your sin while you're going to heaven. He died for your sin. And I'm telling you, it's not right that that should continue. Because he died for it. And it's not right that we should think we, we could embrace it and expect him to somehow flip a switch later on and take care of it. Now, I want you to notice how smoothly that Jesus moves them from the revelation of the wonder to some hard facts. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. And I've pondered that verse for years. And first of all, they didn't obey. And I know that we won't obey either. But why would he say that? In this context, it seems to me that he was saying, you really won't have to tell them because they'll see it because of the way you live, because of who you are, because of the changes in your life, because of the power that's expressed in you. You'll see it. They'll see it. Now, I wonder, the way it's stated, and I did go back to the original and looked at it, it says, you will tell no one that he is the Christ. I wonder if he wasn't given a forerunner to some other teaching saying, yeah, you point back to me as the Christ, but what I want you to point to is the fact that Christ lives in you. That I am expressing the Christ in this world. He is, yes. I am, yes. Am I him? No. No, but I'm expressing him. I'm expressing Him. I, I, I've been able to, to find a way to live that makes things happen. But he goes on, and he says, from that time, from that time where he talked about the revelation, where he talked about what it is to be the Christ, Jesus began to show His disciples that He, Jesus, must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Notice this, from the elders, not from the sinful people that inhabited Jerusalem but from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and be raised up the third day. Ponder that for just a minute. Jesus began to say, I'm going to have to suffer. Now, that word suffering does not mean that Jesus is going to get sick. It doesn't mean that Jesus has now got arthritis and he's going to have to cripple around. That means that from this point on, I'm going to have to offer a passive resistance to what those who think they're religious think I should do. Not a, an aggressive warlike resistance, but I've got to offer a passive resistance now because everything from before is going to come against me in the world of religion. And I've got to resist that from now on so that I can fulfill what Father has for me. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. All this stuff that we have that tries to push us to, you know, this kind of thinking that if I can act like they act, then they will be drawn to the Christ in me. Really? What kind of thinking is that? They know, if they have any hunger for salvation at all, they know the way they are is not acceptable. So I've got to 
be led by him into a way of life that causes conviction to come to them. They become convinced that there is a way that's different from their own way. So when we begin to, we begin to look at that, we realize that all of this stuff, he was going to be pressured to do that. And those that represented established religion was not only going to be providing the pressure, but they're going to kill him. Now, I love the way this goes on here. Verse 22, Peter, he's getting holy now. You know, Jesus just said, I have the revelation and I'm part of the rock. Oh, God. God is a merciful God, Jesus. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter went all charismatic on him. Oh, God is merciful. You won't have to suffer. You notice what Jesus said? <laughs> I hadn't read it yet, but most of you know it by heart. He turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Peter was one who saw him as the Christ with the revelation of God. He's one that was going to be a part of the move of God. Now he's demonstrating as the power of darkness against the thinking of Jesus all in one day. Anybody ever been there? Man, I got revelation. We're going to do this. Oh, but I shouldn't have to go through this. <coughs> revelation, functional darkness. Now, look at 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Hmm. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his own physical life will lose it. But whoever loses that life and lets it disappear into the will of God will save it. God, forgive me for not keeping it before people that you have a life to lose before you have a life to save. And you lose it into the work of God. Now, I'm not trying to build a workforce here this morning, although hopefully that might come out of it. I don't know. We'll see. But what I'm telling you is if you're not willing to lay down your life, you haven't yet seen Him as your Lord, as your Savior, as your Deliverer, as your Healer. You've only seen Him as fire insurance, and He can never be just that. Quiet in here. Good. means you're thinking. Now, when it talks about denying yourself, that's very basic. It means just what it says. When it says, take up your cross, I looked at several different works of scholars on this, and all of them agree that it's just, it, it, it's just a phrase that simply means that you're willing to realize that you must die, and you shoulder that load. Before you can be born again, you have to realize that you were born into something else previously. 
And if you're going to be born again, you're going to be born into something else. And the something else you're born into has to be the way that you follow. And it can't be that you pursue the things of this world. I sat and listened to some leaders, and I didn't get into this conversation because I knew that if I did, it would just be trouble. But I listened to some church leaders as they talked about. Um, they thought they were talking about all the right things. But in reality, what they were saying is if you don't have all of the retirement funds set aside, if you don't have all of this set aside, they were basically saying that it can't be the will of God for a preacher to live like that. And I'd been working on this message, and I was sitting there thinking, man, I want to say, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> but I didn't say it. I'm telling you, folks, that you loose the things of this world, and you begin to hold very tightly to the things of his world, and you begin to live a life that reflects that. That's the working of miracles. That's the way of miracles. That's where you begin to, begin to be able to see clearly that He is sending you in a direction that looks like failure, but the end of that will be something beyond the natural. And it will be a manifestation of the power of God. Now, Jesus at this time knew that He was on His way to the cross. And He told them, He knew they'd understand it better later, but He said, if you're not willing to pick up that instrument of death and follow after Me, then... You really can't have any part with me. And we wonder why we don't get prayers answered. Do you have part with him? Well, I, I read my Bible and pray every morning. I didn't say that. I said, do you have part with him? Do you demonstrate the fact that you're filled with his spirit, that, that the spirit of God is working through you? He'll go to some links for you. And I'd been debating whether to share this part or not. I'm going to do it. But I had some truth brought to me recently that um, by a man named Dave Limmer, been a longtime friend. And Dave is probably as strong of an apostolic leader as I know. Him and his wife were praying for Chelsea and I, and his wife is Beth. And Beth said, told Dave that I think we need to go down and talk to, talk to Glenn because God is talking to me about him. Now, they did, and we did, and here's what come out of it. Is he told me then, and this has been two or three months ago, he said, you've been doing all this stuff yourself, but you're not calling other people to do it. And God had already been talking to me about it. And he said, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And I'm, okay, I'm listening. You know, I, I do listen. When guys like that start talking, I listen, man. I want to know what they've got to say because I've seen the manifestation of the Christ in them. And he said, you feel like you're earning your way before God because of your past. And he said, you haven't yet comprehended what it is to be a son in his house. Folks, I mean, we're talking about 30, 40 years into ministry and I got this guy sitting there looking at me and he said, you haven't yet comprehended what it is to be a son in this house. And then he went on and he said, you've taught other people what it means, but you haven't accepted it for yourself. And I knew he was right. I knew he was right. 
And he said, tell me where that philosophy comes from. And I quoted a scripture, and, and as soon as it came out of my mouth, I knew that I had two scriptures intertangled, and it wasn't real. And he started smiling, and I said, yes, I see that. And I can't recall exactly what it was right now, but basically I was saying because of my past that God is requiring me to always do the hard thing. And folks, that's not it. Because of your past, God cuts that off and starts a new life in you as a son or a daughter in his kingdom. That's where it goes. And that's new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Amen. All of the things that I've done back there that I'll tell you, if I look at them, I won't say them. Because, not because I don't want to give the devil credit. I'm ashamed of them. But he don't ever look at that. And out of that, I began to think. I, you know, I, I can't leave this thinking thing alone. And so I began to take it to God and began to think. And I asked him, so God, does that mean that all those hard places that I've gone and to do some difficult things, does that mean I've missed you on some of that? You know what his answer was? Yes. That's sobering. But then a great blessing came right behind that. But he said... You missed me. I didn't require that of you. But if you're going to do it, I was going to get in it with you because you're my son. Amen. Every one of those decisions I've made, there's been a work of God there. We've left those things with a work of God in action. It's happening. But he didn't require all of that of me. But it's like, two friends that have been in it for a long time together and, and they look at each other and, and you just know one of them is going to do it. He, he's going to do it. And the other one's saying, well, if he's going to do it, I'm going in it with him. That's the kind of friend God is. He doesn't leave me when I go into some silly things. He doesn't leave me and say, well, however he comes out of it, I'll help him fix it. No, if it's something that I'm going into when I think it's for him and I want to do a work for him, he looks at it and says, oh, this is not going to turn out good, but I'm in it with him. That's the kind of God he is. I want you to see that. When you make these kind of decisions, God is also making a decision that he will walk with you every day of your life. Changes everything about the way you live. I'm well aware sometimes that I'll look at things and I'll say, God, let's do this. And I can almost hear him like, like one of those friends that you get in trouble with. I can almost hear him saying, oh, let's do it. And we do it. And it turns out godly. It turns out okay. And probably he didn't ask me to do it. I probably asked him to do it. But that's the kind of friend he is. If you're walking in that path. There will be some working of miracles, not because he ordained it at the moment, but because you ordained it at the moment he got in it with you. Is he understanding this? There's an illustration I'm tempted to use, but I better leave it alone. But Paul says, I'm bearing in my body the dying of Christ. I'm bearing in my body the dying of Christ. Bearing in my body the dying of Christ. Not the body, my body. There's things that I could do that would do nothing but resurrect my old man. God won't get into that with me. 
He'll stand back and let me hit the wall. But if it's the dying of Christ that I'm demonstrating, he's in it with me. Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And this life that I live is now not for me. I'm not quoting directly, but close. It's now not for me, but it's for him. Think of the last decision you made that got you into a horrible argument and caused relational conflict. It was because you made a decision for you and not for him. And I can say that, period. That's across the board. Think of the last time you got into a situation where you were mad at leadership. Think about it. You were mad at them. It's because you thought they didn't make a decision for you. You would not have questioned that they were making decisions for Christ. Jesus said, I'm challenging you to live above that. I'm challenging you to get up every day. In one of the Gospels it says, pick up that instrument of death daily and follow after him. Get up every day. Lay down your right to be anything other than a one who demonstrates Christ. It'll change your life. It will change your life. It'll cause you to get into situations where you don't know how you're going to get out. But you know he's in it with you. And you'll always get out. The greatest responsibility of any leader is to call people and send people to their death. And that's what I'm laying a hold of you for this morning, is to say there is a call that you must fulfill. And that call is to come and die. If this house is ever going to be what it needs to be, you're going to have to die into it. Hmm. you're going to have to die into it. I was thinking about this this morning. I'd been talking to Doug Craigbaum yesterday, and Doug and I kind of, we have a kind of a like, maybe not a like way of thinking, but that if we hear God, we can do it, you know, that, that kind of thing. He was talking about Caleb, not these two Caleb's, but the Caleb's in the Bible. Caleb was 80-something years old. And they were trying to get him to settle. He said, oh no. God promised me that mountain. Give me that mountain. And as I was thinking about that this morning in this church, I was thinking that God promised us a church. And way back when we were just a handful of people, I asked God, God, what kind of church are we building? Because I have a world mindset. If you hadn't noticed that, hang around, you'll see it. God said, I want you to settle down and build a Kirksville church. <clears throat> that has very little to do with my calling and everything to do with yours. A Kirksville church. A body of people that expresses Kirksville as they express Christ. A body of people that realizes that as they move around Kirksville, that's their mission field. That's their sphere of interest. That's what they're supposed to do. And that He lives in them. 
And it's not just, not just a ooey-gooey spiritual feeling. It's Christ that lives in me. And Christ was sent to draw the world to Himself. And we need to understand that. That's what I'm for. That's what I'm made for. I'm, I'm built for this. God intends this to be not a, not a little expression of the church in Kirksville, but a Kirksville church that we're for everybody out there, not against anybody. We're for everybody coming into the kingdom. Not, not saying, well, we can't fellowship with them because they don't believe like we believe. Come on! We're a Kirksville church. And He wants to build us to where He can present us to Himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And the only way to do that is in our mind, we have to allow Him to divide us from the world and to call us beyond. When I say, sing that song, there's a call I must fulfill, I recognize that has nothing to do with apostolic, has nothing to do with evangelistic, prophetic, has nothing to do with that. I have a call to Him that I must fulfill. And standing here in His presence... He gives me direction. And together we do it, Him working out from me. You have that same call. It's the same thing. I can tell you, you're just one decision away from becoming a worker of miracles. One decision. And that decision is, I will follow Him. I won't see the needs of the community and come and say, Pastor, I want you to go do this. You'll come and say, man, I was with this person the other day and the Spirit of God came on me and I, I prayed with them right there and God touched them and they're, changed, they're thinking differently. Things are happening and it'll be a celebration here. Rather than a spiritual hospital, it'll be a celebration of what God is doing in your life. Now, one thing about it, when you make the decision that I'm going to die, and that's what it really is. I'm going to die to everything I could be. Let's consider that for a moment in the life of Christ. Jesus could have been anything. He could have been anything. But he laid down his life that he was, could possibly do to become the sacrifice for you. That became his life. And in that, you have life. I don't want to get further and further into that and confuse the issue. But when I lay down everything I could possibly be outside of the Spirit of God, die to that. No longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And begin to live to what He has for me. I might be fill, filling the same job. I might be fulfilling the same destiny. But I'm doing it for different reasons. Now it's not for my reputation. Now it's not that I care what these think about me. Now it's because I want to please Him. And when I do that, here's what happens. There becomes a settled resolve. I don't know how many years it's been since I thought, I'm just going to give up. I just don't think that way. That's not this new me. I've never thought, well, if, if he don't do this, I'm going to go back to sin. I, I hear that, though. You know, people say, well, God didn't do this. That's why I'm out here doing all this. Come on. You never had your life changed if that's what you're doing. 
If something bad hits you hard and knocks you almost out of the saddle and you just go back to the old life, you've never been born again. I'll just put it out there. Because there comes a resolve when you understand, I've been born into the kingdom. And I'm going there. I'm, I'm going with Him. I'm going to follow Him. There's a resolve that comes. And there's no more of that agitation of trying to decide because you've decided. And another thing that happens, it brings peace in the midst of the storm. Yes, storms will come. But you're going to get through them because you're with Him. And it's just settled. I mean, it's not not a huge deal. I mean, you'd like to change it, yeah. But it's just settled. We've got, me and him, we're going places and we'll get there. The will of God's on the other side of the storm. So I'm just going to lay down here in the boat and go to sleep. Peace in your storm. The third thing, and then I'll wrap this up. It brings to a stop that harassed, agitated seeking of answers. God, why this? God, why that? God, why? God, why? God, why? I'm telling you, there's nothing like the peace that came to me when I began to realize, why not? He's demonstrating His power. He's demonstrating His love. He's demonstrating His will. He's demonstrating the outworking of the cross through me. So why not? All this stuff. We'll just get through it. Because on the other side is His will. On the other side is His way. On the other side is peace that passes understanding. Peace that don't fit between my ears. Peace that He will give me. And folks, I'm telling you, sometimes I can't explain the peace that I have. And this year, this past year, has been a year of storm. It's a storm for a pastor when, when people take offense and walk away. It's a storm. It's okay. It's up to them. They're full-grown folk. They can make their choices. As for me and my house, we keep going. It's not that I don't love them. That's not it. It's just that I ain't getting in their storm with them. It's up to them. They've got to they go their way. It would have been easy for me to start trying to make changes so that, so that I could appease whatever it is they thought needed to be appeased. But guess what? If you start down that road, there's never any way out of it. Same with Jesus. If I start down the road of having my life changed, there's never a way out of it. And when people come and think that I should do it differently in my life, I just smile at them and keep going. Yeah, I'll listen to them. If they can make a case that convinces me it's God, then I'll change right there. But they've got to convince me it's God. And they're going to have to convince me on the move because I ain't slowing down, I ain't stopping to be convinced. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. But at least I have peace. And at least I have a resolve in me. I don't care what happens in this nation over the next 20 years. I'll be serving God. When all the smoke clears and the dust settles, I'll be serving God. 